Hello and welcome to Chloe Jack's Nursing Journey podcast. I'm Chloe Jack, a student nurse at Robert Gordon University, studying the dual honours nursing programme in children and young people and adult nursing. I'm really excited to welcome my fifth guest speaker, John Lee, to the fifth episode of the podcast. Before we get started, here's three facts about John. He is the professional advisor to Professor Amanda Croft, Chief Nursing Officer for Scotland, professional advisor for nursing and midwifery education, and NMAP research. His expertise is in education and in policy. John's initial nursing registration was achieved in Australia in 1983, and he qualified with a UK adult registration in 2000. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you here. So tell us about your nursing journey. Where did it begin? Well, uh, my nursing journey began in Australia, as you can probably hear, in the 1980s. I did my nursing training, which it was in those days, at a hospital. It began I guess, I guess slowly uh, because it wasn't what I had intended to do when I left school. I started out by going to university and doing engineering because that was what was in my family, um, but I didn't really like engineering. It, it turned out that I'm not really that sort of a person and university at that time wasn't really what I was expected. So I did drop out from university and eventually um, somebody suggested to me, why don't I think about doing nursing? And so I applied to my local hospital and uh, got accepted eventually and then started on a nursing program, undertook three-year general nursing training, which is what it is in Australia. There's no fields of nursing. There's just general nursing and no postgraduate specialties. And then after I graduated, I worked clinically for a relatively short amount of time, uh, large teaching tertiary referral teaching hospital specialising in medical nursing, um, which was fantastic experience, particularly because of the range of people that we looked after. Everybody just about who was a patient in the in the clinical area where I worked would have what we would call today polypharmacy. Um, back then, we didn't call it polypharmacy. We just said they took a lot of drugs. Therefore, remember, as a student, one of my first mentors was a relatively recently qualified graduate. And whenever we'd be doing the drug round and we'd open a new packet of drugs because of the patients who were on so many different ones, she'd give me the drug insert and say, here, read it and learn it. And she meant it. She meant find out what the effects are, the side effects, the actions, the interactions. And that was a fantastic experience because you never know whether somebody was going to be on gastro drugs or epilepsy or cardiac or anti-cancer or whatever. And that really gave me a, a really good understanding of some of the complexities of nursing. Realised that one of the things that I wanted to do that I really enjoyed doing was teaching. I enjoyed teaching on the, in the in the clinical area. I enjoyed teaching when I was a, when I was a student. In fact, when I was a, when I was an undergraduate, when I, when I was doing my nursing training, we used to have lectures from the medical staff, from the doctors, from the surgeons. Um, they'd come in and explain surgery that they were doing. Uh, gastrectomy was one of the, the, the key things that the gastrointestinal surgeon would come in and explain. And after they'd been in, what I would do is I'd um, explain to everybody else in the class what the surgeon had just said in terms that everybody else understood because I really enjoyed that and it showed me that I knew something about teaching. Not long after I, well, after I got some clinical experience, nursing education was moving from hospital training to university education. And in order to get a job working in a university, 
you needed to have a degree. So I did a degree part-time while working as a registered nurse, which then enabled me to get a job teaching at a, one of the new universities that was just taking on a program there for quite a while. So I've been doing that job for, well, about, about, in about 1999, I've been enjoying that job very much. And I decided I was interested in expanding that. And one of the things I've always been interested in is in computers. And I was looking through the job ads and saw a job advertised for somebody to set up online learning at a university. It wasn't called online learning back in those mm -hmm. days because online didn't exist, but to, to set up a learning and teaching intranet to help a school of nursing to um, get their students to understand technology as it is involved in nursing. And so I thought, oh, this sounds an interesting job. I wonder where it is. Turned out it was in a place called Dundee. Mm -hmm. I thought Dundee was in New Zealand. Uh, turns out that it was in Scotland. I applied for that job, was interviewed for it uh, via video conferencing, computers in nursing, teaching primary health care, teaching the geography or the, the, the health geography, which was what my, my degree was in, to university students and really enjoying that. Then after a while was in charge of Given, given the opportunity to be in charge of the first year of the undergraduate program, the Common Foundation program for all the older nurses who are listening to this, this one, which is what the first year of the nursing program used to be. And then for the last 10 years, I've been working as uh, the head of undergraduate studies at the university, so in charge of the undergraduate program. And then a couple of years ago, this job came up working for the government, secondment to work for the government to provide advice to the chief nurse, the chief nursing officer's directorate on educational issues relating to nursing and on research issues relating to nursing, midwifery and allied health. And so eventually, though for the last three years, I've been working in the chief nursing officer's directorate doing that. Absolutely didn't see myself working for the government. I had no idea that nurses might work for the government. I, I'm sure there was a chief nurse in Australia in some sense, but I don't I don't even know who it was. Mm -hmm. I did, however, as I've said, always see myself as being a teacher. You know, I've always enjoyed, ever since I started my nursing, I've enjoyed teaching. I've enjoyed doing that job of translating what somebody says so that somebody else can understand it. So mm -hmm. translating what the textbooks might say so that a student can understand it. Translating, as I said, what the surgeon could say in a way that other people in my class could understand. And so, I've always thought myself to be involved in teaching and having spent a long time doing teaching, I didn't actually see myself in a in a management position running a program. Um, and that sort of, it, it, it opened up to me. And then I certainly didn't see myself working for the government. But I think that that's one of the things about nursing. Now, I saw myself when I started out working in a hospital in Australia. I ended up working in the government in Scotland. And that's absolutely perfectly possible. Nursing can take you across the world and not just to care for patients, it can take you across the world to do all sorts of things. Don't tell anybody, but I've never actually worked clinically in the NHS in the UK. So, you know, if, if anybody asks that, you might want to go. That's very inspiring, John. Um, so what inspired you to take on the role that you're in now? Well, of course, to take on the role of it, I thought that this would be the chance to change everything. I was soon disillusioned with that, I guess. Uh, you know, you think the government's going to be 
in charge of everything. This job has made me realise that that the government, it has power in some ways, but it doesn't have power in other ways. But one of the things that I've learned very much from this, this role is the government listens very much to what people say and what people say to it. I think people might people might not think so that you know, the government, government never, never listens to what I've got to say. But knowing that every comment that comes into the government is taken seriously, and there is discussion about what can we do about it, makes me realise how complicated some of that some of that is. And I guess one of the things that inspired me is there are some, some great role models working in the government or working, I've been working with some, some of the senior leaders in government. Um, I worked with Fiona McQueen, the previous chief nurse, who is a, a fantastic role model for all sorts of things, uh, not least of which was for we used to have a, a a step count challenge that that, that everybody did to you know, keep your keep your fitness levels up. Probably people have been doing that. Well, I was in a team with Fiona uh, at one stage, and um, she was by far and away the person who did the most exercise, uh, the most steps in our team, and that was um, in the month after she had a hip replacement operation. So you know, she was an inspiring role model. And there are lots of other people who I've worked with who, as a as a, a practitioner, I wouldn't have seen as a role model, but you can see the difference that they make working in an environment where you do get a chance to hear what's to hear what people are saying and to um, potentially make a difference. Thank you, John. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role entails? I think what it entails, particularly at the moment, is listening and suggesting. We listen to what's being said. Every bit of correspondence that comes into the government that mentions nursing education comes past the Chief Nursing Officer's Directorate and probably comes across my desk at some stage, whether that's from a first-year student nurse, from a 20-years graduate nurse, from the parent of a student, or from the leader of the opposition. Every Everything that comes in gets listened to, gets read, gets considered. And my job as, a, as an advisor is to suggest ways that things might be approached, have a look at what's being asked. What are people asking for? What might be a solution? What is, what is the thing that the government could do about this? What are the things that the government couldn't do about it? It also involves in, in, interpreting, doing that translating that teachers do also, translating the requests or the, the question that comes in into terms that the civil servants will understand because most of the people working for the chief nurse are not nurses or midwives or health professionals, they're civil servants. They understand about how the civil service works, they understand how government works, but they wouldn't necessarily know the difference between renal and cardiac or between um, nursing and midwifery. And so my role is to help them to understand what it is that people are asking. And so I spend lots of time providing advice, helping people who are writing back to people who write to the government, so working with the civil servants who respond to the letters that people write, um, providing advice to the chief nurse about what government policies should be, uh, frequently having, having those sorts of meetings. And it's really interesting because there's a significant debate about things. You might think, oh, well, the government just decides a policy, but, you know, there's lots of debate, lots of different positions to consider, lots of different professions to be involved with. And so my role is to 
make sure that the nursing voice is heard in all of those. If anybody um, makes comments on, on Twitter or on Facebook about nursing in Scotland or midwifery in Scotland, then I need to keep an eye on that. Let people know that this is likely to be an issue that's coming up following the, the print media and the, the other broadcast media to see what are the issues that are likely to come across the government's desk. So keeping in touch with those things and translating as to whether they're important issues that are coming up or not. Uh, I also regularly deal with some of the chief decision makers across the country in terms of making sure that our Scottish voice is there, whether that means preparing Amanda Croft, the chief nurse, for being able to talk to those, to, for example, the Nursing and Midwifery Council, or whether it go, or whether it's it's just getting back to the the people who are working SAS, the um, student support agency, about how they should be funding students and and their bursary, or the Scottish Funding Council about whether programs are eligible for funding. So I spend time dealing with those people um, and and making sure that nurses get the support that they need from those from those groups of people. What a wide varied role you have. Uh, John, um, would you what would you say to your student nurse self now, having been on the journey that you have? I think absolutely that I'm going to live in Australia. Twelve months later, I was living in Scotland, never having never having set foot in the UK, and 21 years later, I'm still here. No idea where that journey is going to to end. And I think the other thing I'd say to myself as a, as a student nurse and, and to anybody, don't believe it when somebody says to you, uh, you need X amount of experience before you can do this. You know, whether that's you need a year's experience working in a hospital before you can work in a community, or you need to get practice under your belt before you go and do a master's degree. It's it's just not true. You You in this career make the journey that you want it to be. You don't need experience to work in the community. If you want to work in the community, you need to work in the community. My experience working in a hospital wouldn't prepare me in any sense, wouldn't have prepared any any sense to work in the community. Frameworks that have been developed over the last few years in Scotland all say, you want to get a band seven role, they're expecting a master's as a basic qualification. It's it's not something to get later on. It's something to think. Oh, hang on, I want to make a career out of this, and so I want to. I'm going to go out and get that now rather than later. I guess the other thing I'd say to myself as a student is: don't expect somebody else to do it for you. Don't expect your employer necessarily to pay for you, or for somebody else to go out and offer you that great job experience you need to go out there and make it make your career direction that you want to because it could go in any direction at all if you want and you you can be the person who goes and make it happen like that i, I think though if i was i was telling that to myself as a student i'd be saying uh-huh yeah whatever i think i'll just be working in australia and and, and that'll be fine um so i'm not sure whether i'd believe it but um it's certainly what i feel looking back on it thank you john so I know there's been some contemporary research carried out around the influence of the under-representation of males in the nursing profession. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this research and what your advice would be to encourage more males to come into the nursing profession. Um, I think that's a, a really interesting question. 
And what I'm particularly interested in is why some groups are underrepresented in nursing. I think what nursing needs is the best people to be nurses, the people who will make the best nurses to be nurses. And it isn't a choice that everyone considers. And I'd love to know why. I would say, you know, from my personal experience, men are the most visible underrepresented group. And my example of how did I get into get into nursing is, a, is probably a good one. When I was at school, I went to an all-boys high school. Um, now, not surprisingly, uh, nursing wasn't one of the careers that necessarily came up. It was, was never mentioned and therefore it didn't ever get onto my radar. But, it, but also I went to, okay. to a selective high school. That's a, a high school where um, you know, there were different tracks of people. There were people who were uh, expected to get higher grades at, at, at school and people who perhaps weren't expected to. So I was at a, at a male high school where you were expected to, to do really well. And there's another underrepresented group in nursing, which is people who've achieved good, excellent grades at school. We know that career advisors say, oh, you've got five hires. You shouldn't be considering nursing. You should be considering. And you know, so there are lots of underrepresented groups in nursing. And I think it would be useful to know why that was the case. Interestingly, the number of men in nursing, no matter what we've done over the last number of years, hasn't changed very much. When I started my nursing, there were, in fact, um, about 25% of people in the group that I started my nursing with were men. Starting nursing today in Scotland, about 9 or 10% of people are men. So in fact, we've, we probably haven't gone backwards because my group is probably a little bit unusual, but we haven't gone forwards in any way. So men continue to be an underrepresented group. Now, maybe that's therefore the right, the right place for it to be. We need to understand why we don't get the right people perhaps in nursing. Why, why, why nursing isn't a career that's offered to everybody? Another example of this of, of the, the underrepresentation or the, the bias or something that there is. Not so long ago, I would say 10 years ago, when I was involved in undergraduate programs, if you applied to do a degree in nursing and came along to an interview and you had rainbow coloured hair and tattoos, chances are you wouldn't get in because we didn't want people with tattoos, particularly in nursing, because well, patients wouldn't like people with tattoos. For some unknown reason, we thought that that was the case and people were excluded. So so what do you think we could do uh, more of to encourage males to come into the profession? I think we need to encourage men to consider different options in life, different ways of behaving, different things that they can do, different ways that they can be. I don't think we need to change... Um, the profession necessarily, we need to work on why is it that most men don't consider nursing as a profession? Is that is that a is that a prof, is that a problem? Or is is there some more societal change we need so that men men can see that this is a career that they might do as they are? Not it's not a gendered career as such. It's a career for people with a particular way of of um, wanting to be. You know, you, nobody go, people go into nursing because they care about people and men should care about people in the same way. And so, you know, can we do something to um, get behind that? 
I don't think it's about encouraging people who shouldn't be nurses to be nurses. You know, I think I think there's an awful lot of men who I think absolutely there's no way that they should they should be nurses. We need to avoid doing doing that. Uh, and I don't think that, I don't think there's a simple answer yeah. to that. So you mentioned you mentioned previously um, that your schooling didn't um, recognise nursing as a male um, profession. Do you think um, schools should be looking at this and can you know encouraging children? I think that what schools should be doing is recognising nursing for what it is, a highly skilled university degree that requires both um, academic achievement and uh, various personal characteristics and pointing out to anybody who um, shows that they have those sorts of characteristics that this could be a, a career for them. Yeah. Um, I think it's done that, school has done that with medicine by saying it's, it's, it's a job for people who can achieve academically and who have the interest in these particular areas. And so there are now more women than men entering um, medical careers. It, the school needs to be identifying what it is that nursing is. And I think that people don't currently identify what nursing is. I think nursing nursing something that, that you can do. Oh, yes, okay, you do go to university and get a degree, but but it's not really like any other degree. Now, I'm sure you tell every nursing student who's listening to this, it is absolutely like every other degree. They have to study, you have to get your qualification, and at the same time, you have to do 50% of your program in, in practice. It's a, it's a very difficult degree. And so schools need to be aware of what that is. And I think if, if everybody was more aware of what nursing was involved, then people would be able to make a more informed choice about what that's going to, who's going to get into it. Yeah. Um, so it's about promoting the attributes that you need to come into nursing. Yeah. So what attracted you to nursing, John? What attracted to me, it to me was that the idea of making a difference. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to make a difference to, to things in life. And nursing was a good example of the way you could make a difference. Um, uh, I don't think I actually had a very strong, very strong ideas about what attracted me to nursing at the time, because you know when I went for my interview and I said, no, they actually said, um, why do you want to come to this 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 hospital to run, to do your nursing? And the right answer was because there's a it's 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 a fantastic teaching hospital with a great reputation, excellent training, and I said, oh, because it's just up the road from where I live and I can walk to work because it seemed like a very pragmatic answer to me, um, but apparently that wasn't the right answer. Uh, so they made me work as a um, uh, healthcare assistant for a while, working in a, in a maternity unit, which was in fact the best thing that they could ever have done because it exposed me to the making a difference stuff. I got to see how healthcare worked. I got to see... Um, what it was that people did. I got to see people at the best of times because they were having babies. I got to see people at the worst of times. And, and the attraction really came through seeing what it was that took place. And so that's, I guess that's what, it, what attracted me and that's what keeps me um, 
interested in nursing. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with the 150 Leaders programme and what students can gain from it? Yeah, yeah. Look, this is a program that's been put together by the Council of Deans of Health and the Burdett Trust for Nursing. Um, they've both put, put funding into it. Absolutely fantastic resource. Um, I've been a coach for three of the intakes. Um, and I've seen students gain so much from it. What the program does is it gives students exposure to opinion leaders in their profession. And it covers all the nursing, midwifery, allied health profession. So it's not, not just nursing. Uh, and it gives them fantastic exposure to some of the people who really are making a difference at the moment to that. And it also gives them fantastic exposure to other people like themselves who are currently on nursing, midwifery, allied health profession programs and who are going to become the leaders of tomorrow and to the extraordinary skills and experience that they bring. And a number of the people from that program have already gone on to be great leaders in the profession and have already uh, are making a difference. And everybody who's been involved with that program has a chance to work with those people. And the other thing that that program um, gives people is, is contacts. And I think um, having contacts is probably a really useful thing to have. Uh, contacts with your peers, contacts with senior positions. And I hopefully, what I, I mean, what I'd like to encourage all students to do is to try and make those contacts. Now, if you if you use social media, follow the opinion leaders on social media because they do listen to what's being said. If you've got something interesting to say, the leaders of the NMC, the chief nurse, uh, the cabinet secretary want to hear what it is. And so now the, the, the 150 Leaders program is about, I guess, seeding the community of health professionals with those people. And uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic program. And I think that the, the, the sponsoring organisations has done a fantastic job of putting that together. Thank you, John. So what advice would you give to nursing students on how to be successful in their nursing journey? I think, apart from a number of things I've said already, I think that remembering that looking after yourself is sometimes the best way to look after other people. We're all in this because we care about our clients or our patients, okay? That's why we should be here. And that you know, that's that's inherent in what we do. But taking care of yourself your mental health, your physical health, your, your emotional health is really important. And if you want to be successful, then you need to look after that so that you can nurture that. You can't get on and do this without considering that. And that involves working out what your strengths are and building on them and identifying what your weaknesses might be and working out what supports or assistance you might need to overcome them. And I guess, you know, it, it also goes back to that being successful is about don't let things stand in your way. Don't let people telling you you can't do stuff stand in your way. Say, yeah, I want to do this job. I'm going to apply for this job. It's never the wrong time to do that. You might not get it, but that doesn't mean you haven't been successful. And those things, you know, being successful in your journey, you don't know where it's going to end up. Um, and so 
keep trying the routes and see what happens. Well, thank you for joining me, John. I hope you've enjoyed your time on the podcast. So you can join me in next month's episode where I'll be speaking to Professor Amanda Croft, Chief Nursing Officer for Scotland, and we'll be exploring Professor Croft's nursing journey. However, before we finish up, in the last episode, Caroline Hiscox posed the following question for you, John. What do you consider are the prerequisites an organisation needs to have in place to ensure nurses, midwives and AHPs are enabled to thrive as learners and for the NMAPs to actively contribute to research? Cool. That's a great question, Carolyn. <laughs> yes, thank you. Let's take up the, the, the research question. I've been in, uh, involved in nursing research since I was a new graduate. Um, Back in back in the the, the, the late 1980s, um, so I've been around for a long time, and I think it's a little bit like the question of, of men that we we're talking about. It's about culture. For a long time, seen that nursing research, nurses involved in research, is something special. If we want it to thrive, then we need a culture change within our organisations. You know, research isn't something for the few, but is in fact part of practice. So organisations need to have a culture that promotes learning and promotes research. And, you know, I think there are some really good examples of boards, individual clinical areas uh, and people who promote learning and researching environments. And there are other organisations that need to learn from that and need to learn how to actually promote those things that are actually going to advance our profession. And sometimes that means organisations need to put the money where their mouth is. It's no good saying, oh, we promote research, we promote the learner, we care about the student. What are they doing about creating positions for clinical academic research roles or for practice education supporters. You know, an organisation needs to commit wholeheartedly, commit its, its people, its resources, its management, and, and show by their actions that they're serious about it. And if people start seeing that they're serious, They'll be doing research, they'll be doing teaching, and that'll make a difference, and then more of it will happen. Thank you, John. Well, the power is now in your hands to pose a question for the next guest speaker. What would you like to ask Professor Amanda Croft? Well, that's a tricky one because she's my boss at the moment. <laughs> but um, Amanda, the question I'd like to ask is, what's more challenging, being a newly qualified nurse or being the chief nurse for Scotland? What a fantastic question, John. So we'll hear from Professor Cross and reply to John's question in the next episode. Thank you again for joining me, John. I hope you've enjoyed the fifth episode of the podcast, everyone. If you enjoyed this, please leave a comment on my socials and follow me at Chloe Jack on her map. That's all for now, folks. Cheerio.